Welcome to Phone Messages, episode 180. Thank you for that. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I play the second message from Gordon Mayer. The message is four seconds long and comes from the spring of 1990. Here we go. Thank you for that great message, Paul. So I worked at the Chicago Maroon. So I know we worked together because you were taking photos for the Maroon, probably like from whenever that summer was when I was kind of helping to run the paper, which I think would have been that 88 or 89 summer through to the time when I graduated in June of 90. So I'm thinking, I wonder if the great message was, yes, I can take pictures of the whatever the event was for the school paper. Um so what did you do then after you graduated? So I, because I worked at the school newspaper, that's actually how I ended up doing my first job. I joined like a community news analysis panel that was aired on WHPK uh, with a bunch of editors from newspapers around the Hyde Park, Bronzeville and South Side areas. And it was like mostly editors of community weeklies because I was at the Maroon and I was kind of kicking around and available. They roped me in. I remember, you know, not knowing very much about it, but it turned into this great opportunity that led to my first job uh, right after I graduated. And the job was at the Chicago Defender newspaper as the copy editor. The copy editor's job was to read and review the stories and just check for spelling and where was the offices for the Defender? Oh, man. The Defender had the most beautiful office. It was at 2400 South Michigan Avenue. And that area is called Motor Row because, I don't know, at the beginning of the 20th century, this building and a lot of other buildings in that area were some of the first car showrooms in the city of Chicago. So these beautiful big buildings, lots of like beautiful wood and glass, beautiful windows. Um, the Defender had been there a long time. I don't think it's, it's not where the Defender originally opened. So at some point there had been printing done in the basement. Um, and the first floor of the newsroom was like, you really felt like you had come to a place. Like you walked into this lobby and like a person, you couldn't just walk into the newsroom. You had to like, it wasn't super secure, but you had to get through two layers of a security guard and then a front desk. And then there was this newsroom where there was like an intersection and then all around the outside were, you know, the windows. And there was like a kind of a, like a central pit area. It was pretty big too. And then I had this fabulous desk. You couldn't eat at your desk, but you could smoke all you wanted because they're afraid of mice. Cause they didn't have, because it was a really old building. So you got the copy, what form would it have when you received it? Everything was electronic and we had a, um, like an electronic at that time. People, I, I don't know what other news outlets were doing, but we didn't have a like a, it wasn't desktop computers. It was a like a digital editing system with like special computers that you used for typing or editing. I mean, for people who are old enough to remember like what an IBM PC circa 1990 would have looked like. Now imagine like something that doesn't look even anywhere near as cool as that because what it really is it's like a giant ass box with you know a pretty small glass screen and like a the you know the keyboard wasn't built in but it was like a big old 
like a 30 pound keyboard with a bunch of special buttons with weird colors over on the right side to do special, like some special command. And what the other thing I remember about the technology is we had a city hall reporter. She was like the star reporter and uh, Chinta Strasberg was her name. And she had some kind of old technology computer to over the phone lines, transfer her copy to the newsroom. And so she would write her story in the city hall newsroom, city hall press room, and she would send it towards the end of the day over the wires and I would get it. But there was one glitch in the software and it required that the first line of her story be completely filled no matter what. And so the way that we used to make sure that she completely filled that first line was she would fill it with cursing. So the first line of all of her city hall stories would usually start trick dog, motherfucker, blah, 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 you know, which was fine. But when I arrived, they really needed a copy editor because they said that one day some of that stuff had wound up by accident in the newspaper in front of a politician's name. So it's like trick dog, motherfucker, Mr. Blah, 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 blah. The Chicago Defender began in 1904 as a four-page weekly printed on a shoestring budget by its tenacious founder, Robert S. Abbott. The paper went on to play a vital role in the history of African Americans by encouraging blacks to escape the Jim Crow South and its institutionalized violence for northern cities like Chicago. Pullman porters risked their lives distributing the Defender in southern states, where the white press legitimized the sharecropping and convict lease system that maintained slavery by other means. Abbott's nephew, John Sangstack, took over as publisher in 1940 and successfully transformed the Defender into a daily in 1956. Three years later, Sangstack also oversaw the paper's relocation from a former synagogue to the majestic structure described by Gordon. The mission-style building, constructed in 1936, originally housed the Illinois Automobile Club when Michigan Avenue south of the Loop was known as Motor Row. But as car dealers relocated to the suburbs, the former club became vacant, and the Defender moved in. During the 1970s, the Defender's readership declined as mainstream papers began to include more African-American perspectives on current events. At the same time, people were increasingly turning to television for their news. It was also in the 1970s that newspapers across the country began introducing digital technology into the newsroom. The first systems that allowed journalists to type and edit their articles on a screen were called Video Display Terminals, or VDTs. The number of VDTs in newsrooms grew from 685 in 1973 to nearly 16,000 in 1978. 
each VDT could cost thousands of dollars. So initially, several reporters shared a single terminal, while copy editors, like Gordon, usually had their own, since they were responsible for editing articles throughout the day. The 1980s saw the addition of portable computers that reporters like Chinta Strausberg could use to send their reports from remote locations like City Hall. However, as Gordon recounts, these early computers had their kinks, which is why Strausberg had to fill the first line of her stories with expletives in order to assure nothing was lost when text was sent over the wire. As with many newspapers, the cost of a print edition became a growing challenge in an online world. So the Defender began publishing exclusively on the web in 2019. 2019 was also the year that I began this podcast. And this week, I am beginning my third annual fundraising drive to cover expenses like the podcast hosting service and website. If you are able to contribute, simply find my username, pfoch, at either Cash App or Venmo. pfoch is spelled P, F like in Frank, O-T-S-C-H. If you want to contribute in a different way, contact me through my website, pfoch.com. The interview was edited this week by... Sadie Levin. Many thanks to her and to Gordon for his Defender Reflections. And thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.